This episode is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. If you're looking for a superhero-themed mobile game, look no further. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Your goal is to power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes like Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. The game is currently celebrating its 6 year anniversary, and they're letting new users in on the celebration by providing free stuff, courtesy of our unique link in the show notes. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses, and if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all of the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code, so new users can follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Thanks to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Film Show. Today is Friday, September 22nd, 2023. On today's episode of the show, we're going to gather around the virtual water cooler and talk about what we've been up to. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film editor BJ Colangelo. Hi, hi, hiya. BJ, how's it going? Oh, it's going. It's Friday. <laughs> it is. It is. Uh, you've been very busy. Um, I, I'm looking forward to getting into the what we've been doing section with you here. I just wanted to mention real quick that I had a chance to interview Aiden Gillen, who you might recognize from The Wire and Game of Thrones and a bunch of stuff. He's in a new movie called Barber that I believe is out uh, on VOD or maybe in theaters, maybe both uh, today. But I'll put that link in the show notes. It was great. We had like a career spanning conversation. It was always fun to have a little bit of extra time with folks and be able to dig into some of their past roles. We talked a little bit about uh, like The Dark Knight Rises, for example. So um, yeah, he's been in a bunch of big projects. And uh, if people are interested, they can check that out. So I just wanted to mention that as one of the things that I've been doing. But BJ, you've been having like a very busy stretch here. So what have you been up to? Oh, yeah. So yesterday, one of the fun things I got to do is I went to the Wish Press Day. And I can't talk details, but just know that Keep your eyes peeled. I will have interviews coming with uh, both Jennifer Lee as well as a paired interview with uh, Chris Buck and Fawn Vera Sunathorn, the directors of Wish. Um, and and what is we... Wish, BJ, just in case yes. people don't know what that is? So if you don't know what Wish is, Wish is the new animated feature coming out from Disney this year. Uh, it is also the 100th year of Disney animation. So this is a huge deal. Ariana DeBose and Chris Pine are in it. Um, it looks absolutely wonderful. But again, I can't talk details about that one. So keep your eyes peeled on Slash Film for future things. Um, but this took place at the El Capitan Theater in Los Angeles, which is a historic theater. It's one of like the old Hollywood theaters. So it was very surreal to be in a place where suddenly like somebody was playing a pipe organ, playing old Disney standards and coming up <laughs> from the floor and there's like three different layers of curtains that pull back before you watch the, the screen and it's the old you know the, the heavy velvet curtains and then there's like the these sparkly curtains that you always see in like big musicals it was really incredible was that uh, your first time in that theater i've never been in there before oh wow and so it like kind of blew my mind like I'd, i've seen the el capitan like presented in movies before but i had never actually been in the audience so it was um i don't know i felt like a, a kid discovering movies again for the first time and it was <laughs> really lovely and i also got a chance to see once upon a studio which is a short film that's coming out and uh it is 
oh, I wept like a baby. And I assume that everyone else is going to weep like a baby when they get a chance to see it too. (laughs) Yeah, this was interesting because I assumed that this was going to be the short that was attached to Wish and people would have to go to see the movie Wish in theaters in order to see this short. But I actually just saw that they're going to be playing this on ABC like sometime in October, just as like a standalone thing. So it's not necessarily Mm -hmm. like the other shorts that are in front of Walt Disney Animation uh, projects. So they're they're like, I think be, probably because it's the 100th anniversary and maybe they talk about so. this at the press day, um, but they're probably just like looking to get that out there in terms of, uh, you know, celebrating on a wider scale or whatever. Yeah, I, th- I think that's the plan. And it was one of those things where the second I saw it, I like texted my mom and I was like, look, this is coming to ABC. Put this on your calendar because I know you and I know you're going to want to watch this. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's that kind of a, of a short and it is just so lovely. And if you have any semblance of love for Disney, you're going to want to watch it. Yeah, so that's called Once Upon a Studio. Check that out. Add it to your calendar. All that noise. Um, what else have you been doing, PJ? Um, so, uh, for those that don't know, when I'm not, uh, terrorizing everybody at Slash Film, I have a podcast called This Ends Up Prom, where we talk about coming-of-age movies, typically about, uh, teen girl stories, but in, if there's a film that is, like, absolutely massively impactful to the genre that is more of a boy movie, we'll talk about that as well. And wouldn't you know it, uh, American Graffiti turned 50 this year, so we had to talk about American Graffiti, and we brought on brad from slash film brad omen and uh brad came and hung out with myself and my co-host who's also my wife harmony and we talked about american graffiti uh we talked about george lucas as a director outside of star wars uh talked about you know kind of how this movie ushered in this this sensation we have of like making nostalgia films where it's looking back on a very specific time period where they're very personal and how this movie is just loaded with so many actors that would become like some of the biggest actors ever Mm -hmm. um it was it was really fun it was it was nice to also you know get a chance to geek out about movies with brad outside of work <laughs> yeah that's great and you were also recently a guest on the slash film or i'm sorry the, the film cast now um you were talking about bottoms on that show right yeah i got to go on the film cast and talk about bottoms which was a, a lot a lot of fun um it's uh it, it was fun to be able to be on a show that i have been listening to for such a long time and talk to people where you feel like you already know them um because you've heard their voices for years and then suddenly you're on a zoom call and it's like oh yeah you're real people that i can <laughs> look at <laughs> yes good stuff i listened to that episode this morning it's great and uh and yeah I, I encourage people to check it out it's awesome um all right let's get into what we've been reading uh, i had a chance to read i've been teasing this for what feels like a couple weeks now or at least a couple episodes now um i finished a book called The Library Book by Susan Orlean. Have you ever read this, BJ? Do you know about this book? I have not. Tell me all about it. Oh my God. It is one of my favorite new books. Well, it came out in 2018 originally, Um, but I I loved this book. So the the central premise is it's about a fire that occurred at the Los Angeles Central Library in 1986. And there's a mystery as to who started this fire and why. So the book is kind of like a murder mystery, but the murder is a fire that swept through a library. And I think it's like the the um, the most damaging uh, fire of any library in history or something, or, or at least in, in the United States. Like it is out of control, the, the level of damage that, that, th- that this fire caused. And so 
it's not just a book about that. That that's like the hook to get you in, but the book actually expands its scope so broadly to be about like the history of libraries and like what the uh, the position that they hold in our communities and what they uh, what they how they serve communities and what they represent and what they stand for and sort of how they're not just a place where you can go and check out a book. They are. A, a community hub that have all these different services. And there, uh, Susan Orlean, the author, spent, I think, so, something like five years researching this book and interviewing tons of library employees and like uh, city librarians and all these folks who who work there and have, you know, come in and out of the doors in various capacities. And the level of expertise that these people have to have and, and um, the breadth of the of what the job of a librarian actually is is something that I have never really thought about. I just kind of have the typical, you know, public school library experience of like dealing mm-hmm. with it and, you know, growing up in schools and like maybe as an adult checking out a book here or there or something like in, in a couple different libraries, but I've never been like a big library person. And so I, I honestly wasn't sure like how much interest I was going to have in the subject. I knew that the the fire angle sounded cool. Um, but I, I ended up being like more absorbed by like just the, um, the amazing, uh, details that she, that she dives into in terms of like how much library, how important libraries are in functioning societies. Um, so it's super interesting stuff. And, uh, there's also like a big part of it that is Los Angeles, uh, history centric. And I'm always a sucker for that stuff. So, uh, yeah, I was just a a huge, huge fan of this book and I'm not sure BJ, are you familiar with the podcast called song exploder? Do you know this podcast? Okay. So this is a podcast that has been around for several years now and they do like, they break down, uh, individual songs with the people who wrote or performed them and into oh, wait, like their yes. okay this is coming back i'm just terrible with names <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think they made a netflix uh sort of streaming adaptation of it as well so people may be familiar with it there anyway in that same feed if you go to song exploder there's a uh, book exploder sort of sub show buried within the, the major show and susan orlean evidently is like the host of this uh book exploder oh, cool. thing where she like speaks with authors about how they uh, chose to put certain sentences together and things like that. So it's sort of the same concept of the song exploder, but just over into the written word. Um, So she was interviewed as like the first person of this book exploder thing. And the interview was about her experience writing the library book. So that's like an extra little addendum or whatever that that people, you know, if you've read the book and enjoyed it and haven't heard her talk about it uh, on that show, I'd recommend checking that out. So anyway, one of my favorite new books, I, I love the experience of reading this. It's one of those things where like, Every single page, I was learning something new or being entertained. There was, there's like no fat on this entire book. So uh, it's called The Library Book. It's really great. Um, check it out. BJ, what have you been reading? Okay. So this should be a shock to absolutely nobody who's familiar at all with my work, but I really like Barbie. And I read an essay by Lindsay Romaine called I Used to Float, Now I Just Fall Down over on Brightwall Dark Room that I have not been able to stop thinking about all week. Um, And it is an examination of Greta Gerwig's Barbie, as well as Golden Age musicals, and how these, how these parallel with girlhood and growing up and having to, you know, say goodbye to girlhood and what that means in American society. And it is a just phenomenal 
piece of writing and it's deeply personal uh she talks about her own experience being a kid playing with barbies and playing with a neighbor and how they grow up and go on different paths and how that's also reflected within you know barbie and that experience and how that how so many of our formative coming of age experiences are reflected in in this movie and she has this line where she talks about how much has been made about you know Barbie's faults, the movie, you know, the the fact that it's, you know, very on the binary with gender, it's very white feminism, um, much about what it lacks, but so little about what it contains, and how that is also something that is kind of put upon young girls of we're constantly being taught all of our shortcomings and never what our potential is. Mm. And it is just such a beautiful, nuanced, incredible essay and it's it's long like it's a it's a long read but it is absolutely breathtaking and i highly recommend people read it awesome so that is called uh i used to float now i just fall down by Lindsay romaine you can find that over at bright wall dark room um all right let's take a break actually and then we'll get back into what we've been watching right after that all right let's jump into what we've been watching i watched a movie called suzume have you seen this movie bj do you know about it no i do not okay this came out uh, in 2022 it is a an anime movie by uh, makoto shinhai who is there shinkai excuse me who's the um, director behind uh films like your name and weathering with you those are his two most recent movies um aside from suzume um i really really enjoyed your name when i saw that a few years ago and uh, yeah, I just wanted to check this one out. So the the premise of this movie is there is a young girl who is living in a sort of a relatively small town in Japan, and she's riding her bike to school one day and meets this mysterious stranger who asks her if she has seen a door anywhere, like an abandoned door sort of out in the middle of nowhere and she's like a little confused by this a little uh, intrigued and she uh basically like ditches school and goes to follow this guy and see what he's up to and realizes that there's this abandoned door in the center of a, a sort of um i don't know like a burned out section of town and there's like all sorts of like crazy uh um I don't know, like like tentacle smoke like <laughs> wild stuff coming out of it and this guy is like desperately trying to close this door so she jumps in and tries to help him and realizes that um and that's basically the, the premise of the of the story is that these two characters travel around Japan trying to close these doors and make sure that no uh bad stuff comes out of them and the if bad things do come out, they cause catastrophic earthquakes in the area. So the whole thing is kind of like in the same way that Godzilla is a, a metaphor for, you know, the, the aftermath of atomic warfare. This movie is sort of uh, speaking about the um, unease and like the fact that all these folks have to live with the uh, constant unknowable nature of um whether or not earthquakes or tsunamis are going to destroy, you know, major cities in their country. Um, so it's like a very uh, potent metaphor. And the movie has a little bit of like weird magical realism stuff in there. One of the main characters gets turned into a chair for a huge portion of oh, the I film, which <laughs> sounds totally bonkers and definitely is. Uh, but it is like gorgeously rendered there. The animation is really, really beautiful. And the especially the first sequence like the pre-title sequence where 
she, the character, the main character runs and helps this guy stop opening, you know, stop this, this force from emerging from this door. Uh, it gave me chills when it cut to the, the actual title. It's, it's like one of the most beautiful animated sequences that I've seen in quite some time. So, um, that's in the trailer. I think that's largely what the trailer is built around. So if you want to just like get a sense of what this thing looks like and what it seems like, check that out. But, um, I would recommend going into this as cold as possible, just to have the full experience of, uh, of like letting this movie wash over you. It's a really, really beautiful movie. It doesn't like not every single decision works wonderfully. The the whole chair thing is like, <laughs> it gets a little much sometimes um, <laughs> as you, as you might imagine, but uh, there's definitely enough great stuff here for it to be like easily recommendable for me. So that is called Susan May. Um, I'm not sure. I think it, it may have come out in the United States earlier this year. Um, the release pattern is a, a little bit uh, strange to me, but Anyway, check that out. Uh, Makoto Shinkai is the director, and it's a yeah, a really wonderful piece of work. Uh, I also saw a Haunting in Venice, which I think I mentioned on Tuesday's show. Um, you know, a little little darker, a little spookier than the other uh, Kenneth Branagh, Hercule Poirot movies. I liked this one the most out of all the uh, you know all three of the existing ones. Um, it, you know, it's not a full home run, but I think there's enough cool stuff in here again to be like easily recommendable, especially if you like murder mysteries and if you like Agatha Christie stories and if you like what Brana has been doing. Like this, I think is just a full step up uh, from even Murder on the Orient Express, which I think is like the most successful of the uh, financially and and creatively of the ones that he's done so far. Uh, this one, I think, is. Um, yeah, it, it takes some interesting chances. I love the Venice setting. They actually went to Venice and shot there, which, you know, you can tell. And I appreciate that aspect of it. Um, and yeah, there's some fun little twists and turns. Uh, I really like the, if, if you've seen the trailer, you know that like Poro himself seems to be uh, going, there's almost like a supernatural component to this. And I, I love where that goes and what uh, what it does to Poro's headspace of being in this contained environment where this young girl has been killed and him trying to figure out uh the murder there's a seance that's led by michelle yo or a character played by michelle yo and so that that whole thing is she's really good in the movie as well so um yeah i would say this is just like a classic fun time at the theater like a you know a pure like seven out of ten movie just like a solid enjoyable movie experience so that is haunting in venice that's in theaters right now uh i'm guessing brad will talk about this movie a little bit later on when he comes on it's called no one will save you and it is a monster movie like an alien movie alien invasion film that's on hulu right now uh, as of today i believe and brian duffield is the the writer and director of this um i'm not going to say much about it because i'm sure i'll talk to brad about it later on but um it rules oh you saw it too bj okay cool so yeah we can't we can't talk about it then uh yeah, so it rules. yeah caitlin deaver play uh, from justified and a bunch of other short-term 12 Booksmart, and Rosalind, Booksmart. Yeah. yeah she's great um she plays a young woman in a very small town who uh basically there, there's an alien invasion in her house and these like classic gray-bodied big-eyed tall and and thin aliens come in and just start like wrecking shit in this, in this small town. <laughs> and one of the coolest aspects of this movie is that there's almost no dialogue in the entire thing, um, which is just a really, really cool approach to telling the story. You get all this, you learn all this information along the way of like the context of who her character is and uh, the trauma that she's experienced in her life and, and the, um, the reason that she's at odds with several members of her small town community 
And all of this is just done in a really, really like economic, uh, effective, sort of moody, eerie way. Uh, and yeah, I, I enjoyed this. I think the ending does not work for me at all, but everything else about it was great. So I think, uh, you know, on balance, it's it's a positive for me. But um, what did you think about this one, BJ? So obviously without spoiling, the ending does work for me for what that for what it's worth. Interesting. Um, okay. But I oh I loved this movie. I am unapologetically on Team Duffield, have been for very many years. Uh his directorial debut for as a feature, which is spontaneous, was my favorite film of 2020. I'm very loud about how much I love that movie. Um, but I was so impressed with this movie, and it is because of the lack of dialogue, because his scripts tend to be very witty and there's like a lot of really good wordplay. I mean, he wrote The Babysitter, Spontaneous, of course, um, Love and Monsters. Like these are really clever characters who have a lot to say. So to see him take a movie where there really isn't a lot of dialogue and be able to show and not tell, I thought was really impressive. But also like this is the first time in a very long time where I've been genuinely scared of aliens in a movie Mm. because a lot of times we don't see them very often. Um, I saw somebody on Twitter refer to this movie as like the final showdown in signs, but for a whole movie. And that's very much what it feels like. Like that sensation you had when you saw signs for the first time and suddenly the aliens were like very tangible and not just like little feet, you know, (laughs) running through (laughs) cornfields. It's a whole movie of that. And that's really, really fascinating. And I love the design of the aliens. I love that they're gray men, but, you know, they also do some really fun stuff with them. I really enjoyed this movie a lot. Yeah, it's it's like a great uh, piece of technical work. It has like a lot of emotional stuff in it that works for me for the most part. I just like, yeah, maybe we'll, we'll have a, maybe I can get you and Brad on uh, at some point for like a bonus segment where we can talk about just the ending of this movie um, after people more people have a chance to see it. But uh, yeah, it's called No One Will Save You. It's streaming on Hulu right now. So check that out. Um, I also had a chance to catch up with Elemental, finally. Yeah, uh, yeah this <laughs> movie is now, now on, on uh, Disney Plus, and it's been in theater. I mean, I think it's technically still in some theaters, but it's been in theaters for, for what feels like forever. Uh, and I just never got around to seeing it. But now that it was easily accessible at home, uh, my wife and I watched it. And uh, I would say this is another just like sort of classic, like good entertainment, solid, sturdy like seven out of 10 type of experience for me. I think there are, I really liked the, uh, the romance, the, the love story. I really liked the um, immigrant story in this movie. And there's almost everything else was kind of like, I could take it or leave it. Uh, but those two prongs of the storytelling are so dominant that uh, I ended up liking a lot more of it than I didn't. Um, I think there are like the the design elements of especially of like i think it's called element city the main area where these characters live and where the whole story takes place um is like too much it was overpowering to me it was like it seemed too chaotic (laughs) Um, and i know that like you know one of the characters lives on sort of the edges of town it's supposed to feel a little bit chaotic when she's going into the city which is an area where she doesn't normally go for for very much of her life. Um, but I, I still think like they overdid it. They, the sort of the balance was all off there for me in terms of like, okay, what is the world building going on here? Like I, I appreciated the attempt, but I just didn't think it really connected a, a lot with me, but I, I thought this movie was like incredibly emotional and like I was <laughs> in full tears at the end of it. And uh, there's just like so much good. This is where you can tell that Pixar like, hones and hones and hones at just like you know 
has a whole brain trust of people who are just giving vicious notes and their whole cycle, their whole like process of, of making a movie. Um, you can tell when something is distilled down into uh, an element, <laughs> I guess, pun intended. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't mean to say that. Um, but down into aspects where like the emotionality is like so pure and hits you so hard. Um, I just thought that stuff was like super effective in this movie. So um, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I thought the, you know, the, the color palette and like the, uh, the uh, emotionality of the storytelling was really effective, but the design elements were the thing that kind of like held me back from, you know, making this like a, a, a full rave review, I guess. But um, I don't know. Do, do you have any response to that? BJ, I know you're a big fan of this movie. Oh yeah. I love this movie. Um, and I'm very curious actually to watch it at home now because I've only seen it theatrically. And so when you do enter element city for the first time, seeing it on a big screen, it might not feel as overwhelming because it's hard to look at all of it at once when it's that big and kind of surrounding you in a theater. So I'm curious mm. how it'll play for me at home. But yeah, the the emotionality of this story really gets me. Like it just cuts right through me. Yeah. Um, and getting to, uh, I interviewed the director, Peter Sohn, uh, when it was first entering theaters and getting to hear him talk about his personal connection to the story, how so many of the stories and a lot of the characters in this movie are based also on kind of like people who work at Pixar. Like these are their stories incorporated into the script, like just adds another level to it to make mm -hmm. me like fully cry. Like I'm very much Wade. I'm a water person. I cry all the time. <laughs> um, so <laughs> I felt very seen by this movie in that regard. <laughs> it's very funny too. I didn't say that. There are like really, really good jokes especially a lot of it involved crying to me. I feel like yes. they use, they use that for, um, you know, heightened comedic effect. And I thought it, it worked really well. And a lot of great fire puns too. Oh yeah. Yeah. But there's also like legitimately moving storytelling decisions that, that actually like made me as a viewer cry. So I think they, they struck a good balance there. Um, I also th th thought the, um, the voice work was great. And like, this was a oh, perfect yeah. example of like hiring people who are not, you know, major celebrities or whatever, just like hire the people who are the best at the job for, for, uh, you know, playing these, these main characters. Like I want to see more of this. I want to see studios take more chances in hiring people who, you know, it's not just, um, I don't know. And Joaquin Phoenix. As the yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, actually, actually, Joaquin Phoenix doing an animated voiceover thing might be kind of interesting. <laughs> uh, but yes, Chris Pratt is a much better example. Thank you. Um, but yeah, anyway, so I just wanted to like give Pixar a shout out for making that choice because I think that like helps the movie a lot when you have people who are just, that's their job and they're not bringing a ton of extra baggage into it. So uh, that is Elemental. It's on Disney Plus right now. Uh, a movie that I would classify as a home run for me is Nimona, which came oh, out earlier yeah. this year. And this is on Netflix. Uh, have you seen this one, BJ? Oh yeah, uh, I love Nimona, and I will. She'll never hear this, but shout out to my niece Roxy. This is like her favorite movie of the year. So we've been talking about Nimona a lot. <laughs> yeah, this movie is so cool. It's like I'd never. It's based on a comic that I've never read, um, or a graphic novel. Uh, but yeah, so Chloe Grace Moretz voices the main character, who is um, how how to describe this movie? Okay, so I guess it opens with uh, a knight in a medieval future kingdom and the knight is played by Riz Ahmed and he is framed for killing the queen of this kingdom and there the entire kingdom is uh is encircled by a big wall and there's a lot of talk about you know keeping the monsters out who live on the other side of the wall 
And very quickly, he becomes an outlaw in this community and meets this young girl named Nimona, who is not a girl at all. She's actually one of the monsters that um, that may or may not be, you know, uh, indicative of like what is outside of this wall. And she teams up with him because she thinks that he's a villain and she wants to embrace that because she has been sort of ostracized her whole life because of her monster status. And these two form this unlikely pair who try to clear the knight's name basically that that's sort of the the quickest way that i can describe the basic uh, outline of the plot but there's so much more going on here and this is just a beautiful movie to look at like i mean yeah talk about this is like a perfect uh, counterpoint to what i think elemental didn't do super well in terms of world building and like setting me in a place where i fully understand how every person or every entity interacts with their space and their world and their city and all that like this this movie does that in a great way it's it's this medieval vibe where there are knights but there's also like lasers and flying cars and like all that kind of stuff and that that kind of um clash might sound a little uh too far out there but i think this movie just does just a really really good job of making it not only beautiful to look at but just really like sort of matter of fact and it doesn't really have you asking any logic questions of like wait how does this work it's just very um yeah, easily presented and uh, effectively presented. So um, what do you like about Nimona? Oh, I love it. And would would you be shocked if I told you that the author of the graphic novel that this is based on is the creator of She-Ra and the Princesses of Power? Oh, I never saw that, but I remember seeing the trailer. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, very much similar energy. Um, Indy Stevenson is one of my favorite creators, so I am so glad to see Nimona. And this is something that I want to shout out, that this is a a, a project that Annapurna uh productions saved this was supposed to be disney uh disney had issues with how queer this is um and then it kind of fell into like a weird hole where it looked like it wasn't going to be made because of you know mergers acquisitions all that nonsense and annapurna was like no we believe in this and i'm so thankful because this is easily one of the best animated films that came out this year like this is one of those like sleeper hits that I wish would be taken more seriously at the Academy Awards, but it's probably going to get shut out by, you know, Disney or Pixar yeah. uh, just because of name recognition, because it's, it's phenomenal. The animation is beautiful. The characters are really cool. Um, and yeah, the, the medieval futurism is really fun and we don't get to see it very often. Um, but I think it's a, this is like one of those, I call them like hell yeah movies, like where this is a movie that you show a little kid and it makes a little kid want to be like, can I swear? Can I say hell? <laughs> yeah um <laughs> so yeah i love it I think it's yeah great. that's great yeah man I, I didn't know that about disney but that makes so much sense because the riz ahmed character is queer and he's in love with uh, another knight another male knight and then the nimona character is like very obviously like a there's a, a metaphor for like uh the experience of being trans right like that that's that's kind of uh, a, i, I want to say underlying theme but it's kind of like the whole thing oh, yeah like, it's she, like you know, it's textual. I mean, and Indy Stevenson, who wrote the graphic novel, is transmasculine, non-binary. So it it just is going to be in all of his work. <laughs> yeah, it's great. And it's so, oh God, what a good movie. So anyway, Nimona, it's on, it's streaming on Netflix right now. If you've never heard of it, uh, check it out. It's, it's definitely worth watching because, uh, as BJ said, it's like one of the most beautiful animated movies, one of the best animated movies this year. Um, okay, BJ, what else have you been watching? 
Alrighty, so I rewatched Bottoms for like the third time, so I'm not going to talk too much about it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I just, I love this movie. But what I will say, which kind of like blew me away, is I think I like watching Bottoms more at home than I did at theater in the theaters because I can kind of screw around. I can uh, talk, you know, with my wife about it. I can make jokes. Um, I don't feel uh, like I have to be like, oh, I'm in public, so I have to like you know, maintain like theater etiquette when watching it. Cause this is a movie that like, just it craves for you to be like mouthing off back at it. Um, (laughs) and so, uh, I rewatched it, uh, at home today, actually like (laughs) before work, uh, with, with my wife and we were just like cracking jokes and having fun. And I was like, Oh my God, I love this. So like, this is a, it's a sleepover movie. This is a movie you watch with your friends mm-hmm. and have a good time with. I really, so I just really enjoyed it. And it was kind of like a, a, a very eye opening experience for me to be like, I cannot believe this, but I like it better. Not in the theater. It's um, gotta be fun to watch at home too, because there's so much stuff going on in the background and like the oh, yeah, signage of the school bunch. and things. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. The, there was a, a fun realization because I took my wife to see it in theaters and then we watched it at home and she's like, is there just a, guy in the in a cage in the back of this classroom that no one's acknowledging i'm like yeah yeah there is he's just in there <laughs> yeah <laughs> just great um so watch that um the other one this is my like my my cinephile pick for the week uh but i rewatched day of the locust <laughs> for the i've first never time. seen this Oh my God. <laughs> All right. So Day of the Locust uh, is a 1975 film. It is a satirical history drama. Um, it stars Donald Sutherland, Karen Black, William Atherton, Burgess Meredith. Um, it is uh, a period piece. It's set in Hollywood right before World War II. Um, and it is a satire of Hollywood. But unlike most satires of Hollywood that are like, isn't this hilarious? Look how the studios work. Uh it's horrifying and really dark um and just like i can't say anything that's not a spoiler and like you kind of need to see it for yourself but like there are moments of this that get so like the ending of this like the ending like 15 minutes is so horrifying and terrifying oh my god i have seen this yes i'm looking at i'm looking it up right now i totally forgot that this is the title of this movie wow what a what a bad title for this movie but uh holy crap yeah i know exactly what you're talking about oh my god the way that this movie just like that it builds to a boiling point unlike almost anything i've ever seen the, the ending of this movie is absolutely insane yeah and i love this movie <laughs> like so much but uh my wife had rented it and she had never seen it before and so we're like going through it and this is one of those things where it had been a while since i watched it and once the ending started happening i was like oh i just remembered how this ends and i can't wait to watch another person experience this Ooh. and she was like what the hell is happening? <laughs> like, yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, I love a good sicko movie, and this is a sicko movie. <laughs> yes. Oh my god. Yeah. Wow. What what an experience. I totally forgot about this movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Incredible. 10, 10 out of ten. Highly recommend. The Day um, of the Locust <laughs> is what that's called. In case you you missed the title, but yeah, definitely check that one out. And uh, speaking of sickos, um, I started watching uh, a series that's on Max called uh, Frogging, Hider in My House. Do you know what frogging is, Ben? I'm trying to decide how much I want to go into it here. Um, okay, so the answer is no. Uh, there, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of a backstory into my life, BJ. So there was a period in 
Also, I when think I'm, I was wrong. I think this is on Hulu, not on Max. But all streamers kind of blend together for me. So my bad. <laughs> okay. Uh, there was a period where I was in high school and I would do this thing that I was taught. Uh, I would not do it now, but I did it when I was a kid and young and stupid where I would, somebody would just be like walking down the hall and I would run behind them and put my uh, two hands on their shoulders and leapfrog over the top of a standing person, like un- completely unaware mm-hmm. that I was doing this. And uh, it developed into a whole like superhero persona where one of my friend was like, one of my friends was taking art classes and uh, dubbed me the Phantom Frogger and like drew a picture of me wearing a mask and a cape. <laughs> and so it became like this whole sort of little thing. So when you say, do I know what frogging is? My memories uh, flood back to my high school experience of like, you know, jumping over sophomores in the hallway or whatever, who had no idea what the hell was coming. And then they just like (laughs) turning around and laughing and running away. Um, Yeah, real childish stuff for me. But but no, I'm guessing that's not what this movie is about or this show is about. So this is a different kind of frogging. This gets, it starts with pH frogging and frogging um, uh, like a frog jumps from lily pad to lily pad. This is about people who uh, break into people's houses and just live there without them knowing. Oh my God. Wow. Um, there was a uh, a horror movie that came out in 2019 with Helen Hunt called I See You. Uh, that is a horror movie about a frogger. Uh, but this series on Hulu is about, it's like reenactments and people telling firsthand experiences about being like, I thought my house was haunted. Nope, it wasn't haunted. Just turns out some guy named Greg was living in my attic. Like, no, it is so horrifying. And the thing is, um, you think like, okay, well, that's scary. Like, that's scary enough. And then you find out what some of these people have been up to. Uh, just monitoring your family, uh, keeping diaries about you and your Mm. day-to-day activity because, you know, they have to figure this out so that they know when it's safe for them to, like, leave your closet or your crawl space to eat your food and touch your things. No. Um, I will say I was not sober when I watched this, and it was like I skinnamarinked myself (laughs) because I was just, like, walking around my apartment that, like, I there's i don't have a crawl space like nobody's living in my walls uh but yet anytime i heard a sound i was like well that's it for me someone definitely lives in my closet and i'm gonna walk in there and they are definitely gonna be wearing an old halloween costume that i have hanging up and my life is over like this is what's happening now i have never been so paranoid (laughs) than after watching this show and i also want to say like this show is kind of like cheesy and in its presentation it very much feels like you know the the kind of true crime that like moms watch um because the the dramatizations are like really melodramatic they have like really weird lighting it just looks like that kind of show but uh the idea of somebody living in my house without me knowing uh makes me want the aliens to take me like no thank you yeah truly horrifying stuff okay so that's called frogging hider in my house and bj i promise you i will never watch this don't do it it was a bad decision i am scarred (laughs) uh but that's on hulu in case you want to scar yourself um all right so what have you been eating bj recently all right so i'm a trash snack queen um and i have discovered crunchies crunchies are a like a a smaller tier chip company. Uh, they sell them at Aldi. And then I never know how to pronounce this gas station because they're not local to me, but like H E B 
Is it like oh, yeah. Ebb? I think so. I think that's a Texas thing, I want to say. Yeah, but, we don't um, have... Yeah, I've never had, like, Gonda once, and so I've only ever read it, so I have no idea the correct pronunciation. But uh, they sell them there as well, and you can also order them online. Uh, they are... They kind of have, like, a similar texture to, like, 3D Doritos is the way... Like, they're, like, big and puffy, but really, really crunchy. Hmm. And they're covered in, like, a chili lime, like, powder, kind of like Takis, but with, a like, a different taste. I don't know how else to describe it. Um, I love them. I ate a lot of them. And then I was like, oh, I can order these online. Well, I'll order two bags, one for me and one for my wife. Just kidding. I ordered 12 bags. So I'm eating <laughs> a lot of right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I typoed. Uh, I went to type two. I typed 12. And now I have 12. And, you know, it's fine because they're delicious. And the roof of my mouth is, like, very upset with me because I've been eating nothing but hot chips. But they're so good. <laughs> Okay, well, yeah, that, I mean, you should put that, like, they should put that in their marketing. Like, I accidentally ordered 12 bags, but I'm okay with it. DJ Colangelo. <laughs> like, <actually. laughs> so, um, awesome. All right, so those are crunchies. I've never had those. I'll have to check those out if I uh, get an Aldi around me. Um, all right, what have you been playing, BJ? What's the last thing we're going to talk about here? All right, so I am currently uh, kind of slash films uh, go to Five Nights at Freddy's expert because, again, adult teenager. Uh, so there's that. Um, so I started playing some of the five nights of freddy games that i haven't played before uh one of which uh the one that's like really problem this is probably why frogging is messing with me so much but i played security breach which is the ar game that was a mistake i don't know why i thought that it would be fun to play five nights at freddy's where the animatronics look like they're jumping out of my own walls this mm, is <laughs> i'm putting together uh clues here as we're recording this podcast of <laughs> no wonder that show screwed with me because it's not just people living in my walls it might be haunted animatronics possessed by the soul of dead children who knows um but yeah i started playing that it is uh kind of a clunky game but it is still really fun but uh the the expanded five nights at freddy's games are i mean the first one's scary to me but they they get <laughs> get pretty scary and pretty gruesome um so that's been uh it's been fun it's been fun to play that and then again talk with like my 10 year old niece about it because she also plays them <laughs> what's your favorite five nights at freddy's game uh, oh, I really like Five Nights at Freddy's 4. Um, that one is, uh, how do I, how do I, how do I explain this? Okay, so Five Nights at Freddy's 4, without getting in too deep into, like, the lore hole of all of it, um, but this is one of the prequel games. It takes place in the bedroom of a child who is, like, scared of animatronics, um, and so that puts it in, like, this new, uh, sort of setting um the stuff at the pizzerias are really cool and really interesting but they can sometimes feel a little samesy uh this one feels like like it feels like you're living inside of a child's nightmare and i like that and i think it's really cool and the character designs uh really up like the terror factor in here um so i like five nights of Freddy's four a whole lot Okay, cool. Uh, all right, I think that's going to do it for today's episode. Uh, sorry about the the one day delay on getting this out there. We were very busy at Slashfilm yesterday, uh, and I encourage everybody, as always, to go to Slashfilm.com and read the stuff that we're writing there and publishing there. There's all sorts of great stuff. Um, Valerie Ettenhofer did a great, great oral history of uh, Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island. So if we have any fans of that movie listening to this podcast, go check that out. I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. Uh, but that's just one of the, the great things that we've been publishing there recently. So 
Uh, yeah, you can find more about all the stories that we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com and linked inside the show notes for this episode. The Slash Film Show is published two uh, times a week, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please subscribe to our newsletter. Send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at bpearson at SlashFilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you next week.